please stand for the reading of God's word. The Old Testament reading is Leviticus 13, verses 1 through 3, and 45 to 46. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin, and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they, must re they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. The grass withers and the flowers fall. The New Testament reading is Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The gospel of our Lord. Well, pray with me as we uh, prepare to consider God's word. Father, this morning, we pray that your word would be our rule, that we would judge truth by it, that we would judge ourselves by it, that we would have it frame the way we look at the world and look at you this week. We pray likewise that your Holy Spirit would be our guide this morning that he would be here in full measure among us to guide us into the truth and to guide the truth into us. And we pray as we leave this place today, would our highest goal be to glorify you this week, to bring praise and honor to your name, even as the Samaritan did in our passage this morning. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for the first 18 years of my life, I lived in Birmingham, Alabama. That's where I grew up. But then in August of 1994, I moved to Los Angeles, California. And as you can imagine, there were some cultural adjustments to be made. Uh, as I went there to attend college, I, I noticed that they ate different foods that I ate. I wore clothes that were styles and brands that were different from those around me and that I spoke in a way from an, with an accent that was a little different uh, than the Southern California accent. But you feel peculiar in that situation, right, when you're in cross-cultural moment. But it was also there that I met my wife, uh, Leah Honey, uh, who I met in Los Angeles. She also, having moved there, uh, not a native of that place, but having moved there from Mississippi, 
And so here I was, 2,000 miles away from home to meet and ultimately marry a young lady who had grown up just two hours from my home. That why, did it, why did a young man have to move from Alabama to California in order to meet a girl from Mississippi? But it was a highly unlikely scenario. I'm sure as my parents sent me off to college, they probably thought they would end up visiting grandchildren in Bakersfield and Fresno, uh, not placing a high probability that I would marry a southern girl from in California. But God had different plans, as he often does. But it was highly improbable, a highly unlikely way for us to meet by both of us going to California, but yet that was God's plan. And this morning, we get to witness the beginning of a highly unlikely and highly improbable relationship. And that's the relationship that's formed here in this passage, in this miracle between Jesus and the Samaritan. That it was highly unlikely that a Samaritan would become a disciple of Jesus Christ, but it's also highly unlikely that the Samaritan would be the only one of the ten who are healed to be the one to come back and to confess faith in Jesus and to attribute praise to his name. You, you sense the unlikely nature of it in Jesus' own words, right? He says, where are the other nine? He says, in the foreigner, really, the foreigner. That's what we're doing here. And Jesus is taken aback that it is the foreigner who comes to profess faith rather than those from among his own people. But of course, this is a theme running throughout the Bible, that God doesn't choose the likely candidates when he's looking to do his work in the world. That he chooses unlikely, improbable people to be his instruments in this world. You see it even in Genesis, when God wanted to start a family, he went to Abram and Sarai. And they weren't, if you know the story, likely candidates to have kids, period. In fact, it was so improbable that Sarah laughs at God, laughs at the notion that they would bear children. And of course, Moses, when God was looking for a prophet, a spokesperson to lead his people out of Egypt and to speak truth to Pharaoh, he chooses Moses, a, a man who by his own confession has a speech impediment, not a likely candidate to be God's mouthpiece in this world. When God needed someone to keep the line of Abraham going, he uses a widow from Moab named Ruth to be the one to keep this line going, not the candidate that we would have selected from the bunch. That when God was looking for a king over Israel and he, he calls forth the sons of Jesse, none of the likely candidates from Jesse's sons fit what God's looking for. He plucks the shepherd boy from the field to come and lead his people. Even in Luke, when God chooses to bring the Christ child into the world, who does he use? He uses the Virgin Mary. He uses this woman who doesn't come from a family or a place of reputation. And of course, even as we've been listening lately in the series on the book of Acts, we're reminded that when God was looking for an apostle to the Gentiles, he went and, and chose and transformed a terrorist named Saul of Tarsus. And so it's part of God's M.O., it's the way he works in the world, that he doesn't work through the likely candidates and he doesn't do things in the ways that we would suspect. And that's, that's the gist of the, the miracle recorded for us here in Luke 17, 
that God does something that people thought was unlikely. He frees 10 people from leprosy, but also that the likely person to come and to praise him and to honor him for who he is, is not the person we would suspect, and that is the Samaritan, the foreigner. And so this morning, we want to look at the two people who are the featured uh, stars of the show, if you will. We want to look to see what this passage tells us about the uniqueness of Jesus, as well as what this passage has to teach us from the uniqueness of the Samaritan. And so look with me first at the uniqueness of Jesus that's brought out in this passage. And simply put, it's that Jesus' uniqueness in this passage is seen in both his compassion and his power. What moves Jesus, his compassion, and what it moves him to do, what it, how he exercises his power over leprosy. We see Jesus' compassion because as he's traveling, he enters this unnamed village and he's met by these 10 lepers. And as you heard read just a moment ago from the book of Leviticus, a leprosy is not just a dermatological condition, right? It's a sociological condition that you are separated from society, that you are forced to live in isolation, and that even as you move around the village, you, you have to announce yourself unclean, unclean. It's not just a, a physical medical condition, but it's something that brings social shame, that who you are is embarrassing to, to you and to your family. But Jesus now has these 10 lepers who were told, stand at a distance and cry out with a loud voice. They mainly holler to get Jesus' attention. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And we see here in this passage that Jesus doesn't have to be persuaded. He sees the lepers, he hears the lepers, and he responds to the lepers with compassion. And of course, this shouldn't surprise us, but it's just important to note that throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you just read through them, every time somebody who feels that they're at their worst seeks out Jesus, he always shows mercy. He always shows compassion. He moves towards them, not away from them. That this is his instinctive response that when people who are diseased or despised by others come to him as their only source of help or their only source of hope, Jesus always responds with compassion. It's just part of his nature to do that. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised, but Jesus even reiterates this himself in Luke 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. If there's anything that we as Christians ought to be confident of, it is that when we go to Jesus with our deepest problems, that we will be met with mercy and forgiveness. And so that's what we see here in this story. It's not the first time in Luke's gospel where Jesus heals a leper. In Luke chapter 5, we're told that while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along covered with leprosy, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
And so in Luke 5, now in Luke 17, Jesus demonstrates not only compassion, but he also demonstrates power. That the human, the human body answers to me. That disease answers to me. And that ultimately we will find out at the end of Luke's gospel, death answers to me. And so Jesus shows his lordship over disease, over the body, over death. But also, once again, we're just reminded that Jesus is always happy to exercise his compassion and power for people who are diseased and despised, who've been deserted, who have no hope or help outside of him. It's just part of his nature. In fact, that's the point just two chapters previous, right? He gives us the story in Luke 15 of the parable of the prodigal. In Luke 15, we find the son who wanders off and finds himself at his worst, right? And comes home because it's his only place of resort, his only place to turn to. But what does he find when he returns home? But Jesus says, a merciful father waiting to receive him. And so this is just a running theme in Jesus's life, ministry, and teaching. You know, what comes to mind when I think about instinctive responses is uh, infants. If you've uh, ever raised children or ever been around an infant, you know that once they discover their motor skills, there's this stage of life where everything goes directly to the mouth. That if they had put their hand on anything, food, their feet, a book, it doesn't matter. It's all going to the mouth because it's their most activated sense at that point. So they just want to learn and discover and explore. And so everything goes to the mouth. And as much as you, this is why you have to keep things out of reach of young children, by the way, if you don't know that already. <laughs> but it's just part of an instinctive response. It doesn't even have to be taught. It's just part of their nature to do this. And so it is with Jesus when we think about his compassion and power just being an instinctive response. It's just what he does. It's, he's glad to do it. He naturally does it. It's just part of his nature. And of course, this, this shouldn't surprise us because he is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And in the Old Testament, this was true of God. Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and mercy. Even Psalm 34 reminds us the Lord is near He's near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And so the good news for us this morning as we think about the uniqueness of Jesus, the good news is that we can come to Jesus with things, decisions we've made in our past, things about us that give us a deep sense of shame, things about us that we don't feel we have the power to change and even are destructive that we can come to him with the worst thing about us and ask him to have mercy on us, and we can be assured that he will. That this is in his nature, that this is what he instinctively does. That you may have things about you, like the lepers, that make you feel like the isolated one, the separated one, the misfit toy of society, and that Jesus will heal, restore forgive. It's part of his compassion that moves him to use his divine power to heal. And you probably notice there that he does this healing in a very unique way. 
that unlike other healings, he doesn't speak a healing word. He doesn't touch to heal, but he heals by way of an errand. (laughs) He gives them an errand. He says, go show yourself to the priest. But according to Leviticus, this is what you do after you've been cleansed of leprosy, not before. And of course, what Jesus is saying, just trust me, trust me, that even as they looked at themselves there in front of Jesus, they still had leprosy. But he says, go, go show yourself to the priest, go as one who is going to be cleansed. And when they get there, they discover that they have been cleansed, they have been healed, they have been restored. And so Jesus's power, he doesn't even have to be in our physical proximity. We don't have to be within hearing shot of him, earshot, but to know that his divine power can still be at work. Well, that's the uniqueness of Jesus, but we also want to consider the uniqueness of the Samaritan in the story, which has already been pointed out that the Samaritan is not the likely person you would have chosen out of the ten to be the one who came back because the Samaritan wasn't the one who'd been raised on singing and memorizing the Psalms about God's mercy and God's compassion. The, the Samaritan wasn't the one who'd gone to the synagogue and heard the readings of the scripture. He, that this Samaritan was unclean before the leprosy came. They were outside of God's people. But of course, part of the, the message here that Jesus is bringing out in this miracle is that Jesus likes to bring, pre, to bring people who are far off near. Jesus likes to make outsiders into insiders. He likes to make, he likes to make uh, nobodies into somebodies. And he likes to bring people that are far off near to him. These people don't fit the likely profile. I mentioned earlier that my wife and I met in Los Angeles, so there's some perks to dating in Los Angeles, and one of them is being able to go on a date to The Price is Right, which is what we did. And I thought, how great would it be not only to go on a date to The Price is Right, but to come away with prizes, right? That would be the ultimate date. And we went knowing, right, that there was that possibility that we could find ourselves in front of the camera, on stage, on the show. But what we didn't know before we went to the show was it's not a random member of the studio audience that they pick that as you're going into the studio, they actually interview you. They stop and they ask you questions along the way. And they're picking people who would be fit for TV. They're picking people that fit their criteria. And apparently the price wasn't right uh, for either (laughs) of us. They were looking for people maybe who had accents that could be understood or things like that. People who had personality and pizzazz. Apparently we don't possess those things. But But in the same way that if if we were to go around trying to pick who's the likely disciple, who's the person in our midst, in our society, who's going to come to faith in Christ, it's oftentimes not people that we would pick, the people that we would predict, the people that we would cast for the role. Even thinking about it globally today, Where the church is growing and where people are coming to Christ is where the church has not been present. It's in places like China and Pakistan and India where the church is growing exponentially year after year. And God is working even without resources that we would think are needed to expand his kingdom because this is the way God works. He doesn't need the things that we need to get work done. But he's bringing in the Samaritans. He's bringing in the people that are far off to be near. 
Of course, this isn't the first time in Luke's gospel that we've been introduced to the Samaritans. Luke chapter 10 is the story of the good Samaritan. The most unlikely person we would have predicted to be of help is the one who is. Luke 14, just a few chapters prior to our passage today, Jesus gives us the parable of the great banquet where the master of the house decides to throw a banquet, sends out the invites, and gets all the RSVPs that say no. So what does he do? But he sends his servants out into the alleyways, into the barrios, to go get some people and to fill up this place. And this place is going to have a party with people you wouldn't have predicted to be in attendance. And even in the next chapter, Luke 18, is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where the tax collector is the one who walks away justified. But Jesus gives us this miracle, and the Samaritan is an important part of it, because it's a reminder that the people who God is bringing into his family are unlikely candidates. And if you are here this day, and you are a child of God, that, that means you were unlikely candidate. <laughs> that means you did not fit his criteria. But rather, like the Samaritan, there's only way to become part, only one way to become part of God's family. And that is, like the Samaritan, to recognize there is something unique about Jesus of Nazareth. That he has power, that he has mercy, and that he is the Son of God. And to go to him and to throw yourself at his feet and to rejoice in who he is. This is what the Bible says is true of all who come into God's family. That in Christ we have a new relationship. But another thing we see here in this passage is that you probably noticed there's a play on the proximity that happens. That when the Samaritan leper first encounters Jesus, it says that he stood at a distance. But then later in verses 15 and 16, when he comes back, what does it say? He fell on his face at Jesus' feet that the proximity that he is now able to enjoy with Jesus is a visible reminder of the new relationship he has with Jesus. Well, this morning, Jesus uh, points out a math problem, <laughs> that when the Samaritan leper comes back, he says, weren't there ten? <laughs> Where are the other nine? And it's a reminder that, first and foremost, it shows something about the nature of Jesus, he does things, he blesses people all the time who will not become his disciples. That this is, this is part of his nature as well. That he doesn't limit, limit benefits and daily blessings to just his people. But he'll feed the 5,000, even though they may not all come to faith in him. This is just part of the way Jesus works. But it's, this miracle is also a reminder of the scope of his family, the breadth of his family, and the depths of his power and what he is able to do. And so this morning, if you walk away remembering anything, we need to walk away remembering this, that there's two things as Christians we should always readily and willing bring to Jesus, our deepest problems and our deepest praise. Because the Samaritan brought both, right? The first visit with Jesus, he brings his deepest problem. But the return visit to Jesus, he brings his deepest praise. And that's the story of the Christian life. And so this morning, maybe some of us sit here and, we, and what is staring us in the face are our deep problems. And if there's one thing, like I said, we can be confident of is that when we bring deep problems to Jesus and cry out for mercy, 
that we can always be assured that we'll be met with compassion and power to change, to transform, and to forgive. There's a lot of things about this passage that we could point out. One, one of, by the way, which is this is the only example in the Bible of somebody coming and specifically thanking Jesus explicitly for what he did. And that should be a reminder to us of the importance of doing so. But there's a phrase in this passage that would be easy to overlook, but yet holds a lot of significance. And that is actually the first phrase of the whole passage. It says in verse 11, he was on his way to Jerusalem. That here is Jesus traveling toward Jerusalem, knowing that what awaits him there is betrayal and the cross. That what awaits him is public shame. And so he sympathizes when he sees the lepers. He is moved by their shame, by their condition, knowing that shame awaits him. But of course, uh, this also is good news to us because it says in Hebrews, right, that he is able to sympathize with us in our shame, in our weakness. He is a sympathetic high priest to whom when we come to this priest with our shame, with our uncleanness, we know that we come to him and he makes us clean. He makes us whole. He will be moved to compassion because he knows what it is like to have been shamed, but now to have been raised victorious over death, over the cross, having stood in our place to bear our uncleanliness, to bear our shame. He is risen victorious over all. May we be, find ourselves swiftly, quickly, and regularly uh, coming to Jesus Christ with our deepest problems and our deepest praise. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful this morning for your goodness and mercy, which follows us all the days of our life. And Father, we think this morning of uh, our Savior and his compassion to these lepers. And what some of us this morning need is to believe that such compassion stands ready for us. Because what we stare at this morning is our deepest problems. And so, Father, I pray for those of us who are here who need to experience this life-transforming power of Jesus, that you would be pleased to, to uh, open their hearts, to cry out for mercy, and to assure them of its presence and your presence with them. But Father, likewise, I pray for those of us who this morning who have experienced the life-transforming power of Jesus, that we would happily and readily come now with just our deepest praise, that we would have renewed within us a thankful and grateful heart of the work that Christ has done, bearing our shame and as our substitute for our uncleanness. Father, uh, we pray that this week that your Holy Spirit would give us as Christ's ambassadors to this world, as his witnesses, the sort of compassion towards the outsiders that we see here him display. That we as our church would be characterized by extending the compassion of Jesus to those around us. And we ask this for the sake of his name. Amen.